Hi, Liz Winstead, co-creator of The Daily Show and founder of Abortion Access Front, or as we call it, Abortion AF. Abortion AF is a nonprofit created by activists, organizers, and a variety of showbiz types who want to use our talents and platforms to raise awareness to the erosion of abortion access and create programs that help us reclaim this fundamental right. We help connect local abortion providers and activists with their community so folks can learn how to help clinics stay open, patients access care, and reverse the current decimation of bodily autonomy. We also get into good trouble exposing the lies of the anti-abortion movement at their churches, their rallies, and their religious-based fake abortion clinics where creepy people doing some sort of medical cosplay demonize folks seeking abortion care instead of providing it. Oh yeah, and our weekly podcast, Feminist Buzzkills Live, we use facts and humor to wade through the ever-changing news in this hellscape. To learn more or to make a donation, visit aafront.org. Exposing sexist ass clowns has never been more rewarding. TV has come before a live studio audience being held against their will. Would it be okay if I asked you first about Transformers before we went into... Of course. Okay. <laughs> I'm just... I'm, I'm you've, been, you've been digging on me, I see. That's good, yes. I, I am... Well, you also worked on a show that I love quite a bit, um, Dave on FXX, which, which is a terrific Dave show. Is an amazing show, yes. And Barry, too. Sorry, yes. shameless plug. Barry, too, coming out Sunday, season three on Sunday. Yes. Yes, that's <laughs> right. It's coming back. Uh, so I'm curious, like, what the intersection was for you between, you know, you've got this, this whole career, but then you're also doing Macroverse. Yes. I'm wondering what brought you to the Macroverse. Interesting. I mean, great question. It's, you know, I, um, I'm, I'm very lucky to have come from a lot of, my dad was a diplomat, but my mother was a film critic and, and my brothers, um, are all kind of much older than me and actually ended up, my middle brother ended up in, in Hollywood as a, as a writer and now a producer. And so he was what kind of led me out, out for that as a career. I kind of pitched up after I graduated, not knowing what I was going to do. And, and, and uh, he said, well, come to LA, it's fun. So I did, and I met my wife and stayed and just loved making movies and, and the assistant director career. I, I have just reveled in it. I've been in so many creative, talented people and so much fun to be had. And um, as an assistant director, you're very, much a, a, you're very much there to implement somebody else's ideas and stories and your you know it's it, it's and there's a lot of creative to and fro and and i've been so lucky to work with so many kind of very um um kind of talented but also kind of community oriented people you know it's it's very much the kind of best idea wins approach which has been fantastic and something we try and bring to our our own work as well but that kind of creative itch is not always scratched by executing for other people. And so when I met my partner, partner Eben, he was in a kind of similar position with an advertising agency and running his own agency, kind of creative agency. And um, we were just like, huh, after a while, I think it was kind of after several whiskeys late one night, we were like, I bet we could do something like this. We're pretty talented, you know, people. And, and I bet we could. And there are so many bad movies out there. I bet we could write a reasonable one. And honestly, that was kind of what started it. So we started writing together and then um, comics was kind of blowing up and the motion comics thing was really kind of exploding in the late aughts. And we were like, huh, I think people are getting it wrong. And I think with the kind of 
motion picture experience, like bringing that cinema, more cinematic feel to the original creation of this. We can do something cool. And, and honestly, that was where it stemmed. And then we met our other co-founder, Ricky, who's you know owned a couple of games companies. And we met him through a mutual connection and, and uh, doing cutscenes for him with motion comics. And then it just kind of kept rolling from there. And, and now we're here. Do you see the, the the blueprint that's being formed with Macroverse as something that could be transported back to the, to this other to the entertainment industry? <laughs> that is a fantastic question. I feel like that's very much getting into the kind of what what am I working on now, which is <laughs> which is very funny, and a hundred percent. I mean, in terms of you know what am I working on right now, it is very succinctly. It's we see this as being nothing short of the kind of future of entertainment. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, my company now, Macroverse, is is building a, a Web3 comic studio um, where we get to develop these kind of fantastic stories that other creators get to bring and we get to work with them. And, and you know, a lot of people, people that are, uh, have regular day jobs and are doing creative work on the side, but that we can kind of work with and hopefully foster and create something great that we can then take back into the larger entertainment kind of landscape, but where the community and the creators are fundamentally the people that benefit from that, not an ever, you know, ever smaller number of, of oligarchs. Right. Now we had that bit on the show um, previously. And so I'm curious what the, the division of labor is like at Macroverse. So like, what is, what is the thing he works on? What is the thing that you work on? Like, what is the thing that you're currently working on within the context of Macroverse? Well, we've got a few, and forgive me, I'm wriggling occasionally. There's a thunderstorm outside, so I have three dogs crammed under my desk right now because they hate thunder. So apologies if I wriggle occasionally. I know know exactly how that goes. I used to have a thunder vest for one. Uh, Yes, so we're... I totally understand. Oh, like the weighted blanket thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's very... That's that's actually a great... Thank thank you. That's a great idea. I remember that. It it works. Um, Surprisingly, sure. yes. No, I'm sure. It's yes. It's it's yeah, the confined space and the sense of security is is essential right now. Um, in terms of division of labor, I mean, it's you know we're very much in startup mode, so we've we're lucky to be working with a fantastic development team for the Web three um, work called Pagsy. Um, so you know, and then Eben is very much kind of the lead on the design um, side of things. Like that's has been what he's done his whole career, and, and you know, I think grown up creating comics and then now, you know, kind of going from there. Um, and then I've been very, very focused on a lot. It's this kind of split, which is interesting because it's kind of been my whole career. It's very much the kind of logistical production management producing side of things, um, which obviously is something I've been doing for a long time. So it comes very naturally, but then also working with the community and with a couple of projects specifically um, developing the storytelling side of things, which has been fantastic. And so really building this kind of community storytelling ethos and strategy and kind of mechanism that then we can kind of hopefully scale and scale and scale as a company grows. Right. Yeah, no, that's something I was very curious about is the the transfer of knowledge. Like, so taking the skill set that you had as a, as an AD and applying Mm -hmm. it to a startup, is there, have you found that that's been beneficial? Like having that skill set has really helped you as a startup founder? Absolutely. Like it's, uh, it's very funny. A producer friend of mine, a kind of good friend of mine, um, um, said it's, you know, when you start a a show, especially a first season show, you're essentially starting a kind of 40 to $80 million startup, right? If you've got 10 episodes of TV you're producing at 4 million bucks an episode, for example, 
that's kind of what it is. And you've got to figure it out and you're hiring personnel and you're figuring out the best fits and what's the dynamics and how these things work. And, and so absolutely that experience as an AD coming in and being involved with things from the start and being in the rooms for conversations and, and seeing what works, which is great. And then, and then honestly, from a learning perspective, what doesn't work and the mistakes that people make um, has been, is invaluable, absolutely invaluable. Yeah. Tired of being tracked online? DuckDuckGo can help. Tracking is a comprehensive program. Trackers lurk nearly everywhere online from websites, emails, and even apps in your phone. That means you need a multi-pronged solution. DuckDuckGo's all-in-one privacy app can be used as an everyday browser with private search, tracking, blocking, encryption, and now email protection built in. It's the free, easy button for online privacy. Download the app today. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified. Hey there, boys and girls. It's your old podcast pal, Ralph Garman here, inviting you to invite me into your ear holes five days a week with my podcast, The Ralph Report. Join me. Eddie Pence, Steve Ashton, and the rest of the happy lunatics that make up the Garmy for as little as 15 cents a day. And for that, you get five shows a week filled with music and jokes and news and history and just so much good stuff that you're going to be glad you chose the Ralph Report. How do you listen? Well, it's pretty simple. Go to patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash The Ralph Report and sign up today. There's four amazing levels of subscription that you can join, each one with their own special bunch of benefits. So check it out. Listen to me, Ralph Garman, on The Ralph Report. Patreon.com slash The Ralph Report. What, what surprised you so far in this uh, startup journey? Huh. Good question. Um, I think it's the, for me, it's to some degree, it's, it's also my learning curve as a founder in an industry that is like a lifelong comics fan. I mean, I grew up collecting 2000 ADs as a kid and then, and that, funnily enough, that short form kind of 2008, if you're familiar with it, they kind of weekly, but like six different stories and they're all about five or six pages of story. And, and uh, so actually that transferred, that love transferred directly into what we're doing with, with Macaverse, which has been kind of great. Um, finally, a use for some of those ridiculous comics <laughs> yes. I collected. Um, you know, I, but I think for me, it's been, you know, when as an assistant director on sets, I'm very, very comfortable. I, I know exactly what should be happening and I'm very comfortable kind of, you know, lead very gently 98% of the time, but I know exactly kind of when to put the hammer down and when to push things and what to do and, and when to go from being like, okay, Hey, you know, when to switch into the like, Oh my goodness, the sun's setting, we have 30 minutes and dear God, we better get these last two shots. Like there's an energy that you have to create there. It doesn't have to be obnoxious, but it's just got to be this kind of frantic. Um, and so coming into then the tech world, and not being as comfortable with when to kick into, okay, guys, we have to go kind of mode has been an interesting, interesting learning experience for me. Um, and certainly over the last year, looking back, I'm like, and it was the same with, with Ed and I, with our animation company kind of before this, it was like, okay, bugger, we're now too far along into this project to 
fire the person that we should have fired now months ago because they're not performing and we it would have been better for us just to have reset and started over than now be in the situation we're in and so i feel like you know in different contexts that that has happened to us a couple of times and like if it happens a third time i'll be really upset with myself <laughs> <laughs> now i want to switch gears just a little bit to go, to go back into what was your what was your first assistant director job first assistant director job so I mean, going way back, my first ever movie was as, an, as the assistant to the director. Um, I, I don't, the director knows us, and I've, we've, we've stayed friendly. It's a terrible film called Runaway Car for Fox. Um, it was basically speed in a mini. Um, and it was when, you know, when TV movies were a thing. Um, right. And I was incredibly lucky to get that. I showed up in Hollywood. I, my degree was physics and philosophy. Um, but I had a movie critic mother and, and came from, you know, so... I had watched a ton of stuff. So I, you know, friend of a friend interviewed with this director and he, he was asking me kind of what my experience was. None. Um, do I know what shots are? No. And it was going absolutely terribly. And then he finally in desperation, I think asked me, um, so what's your favorite movie? And I said, seven samurai, which has remained my favorite film since I was probably like 16 or something. Um, and he goes, huh, that's a good film okay this will probably work <laughs> that, was like, that was that was like wait what, what what just happened like like my movie obsession for for a decade has has paid off this is incredible um so yeah that was the first movie i did i ever really did um and then uh, as a production assistant for, you know, after that well, for lots of movies um specifically one called george wallace uh for john frankenheimer um where he was you know legendary director and and I could talk for a long time about him because he's amazing. He was amazing. Um, and I met my wife on that movie and then stayed. And then, and then it just, you know, the way the entertainment industry works is you kind of PA for, you have to, you know, hand in kind of 600, 700 days worth of on-set work. And then you can join the Directors Guild, which is the assistant directors are a part of. And so I then kind of worked my way on from there. So I think the first movie I was an assistant director on was actually an um, ABC film called Desperation um, based on the Stephen King novel. Uh, was a second second AD on that, which was which was great. It was a lot of fun on location in Arizona. Yeah, I just have to point out that that is now the second time um, Akira Kurosawa's Seven Samurai has been dropped on this show. Like, hey, this is, this is now the second. And if you, I, I am convinced it will come up quite a bit. Just I, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're ranking top movies of all time globally, I mean, AFI only really does American movies, but like, if you, yes. oh, God, it's, I would say, pretty consistently, kind of number two or three behind Citizen Kane. But yes. Now let me ask you because this is something that came up in in the other conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking about the the effect of binge watching has affected the, the watching of long films. And I had pointed out that when mm-hmm. I was watching Seven Samurai, yo, I, I came to it late. I came to it in like 20, you know, when the pandemic, uh, is oh, wow. I, yeah. yeah, but when the pandemic started, I said, you know what? I'm going to watch all of the greatest films ever made because what the hell else am I going to do? Right. I, so a fantastic mission for a terrible time. <laughs> right, exactly. So, but I found that because Seven Samurai, it, it's, you know, it's, we, I think we've become so conditioned to like the Marvel pacing, in yeah. film, that the pacing for Seven Samurai for someone who who has not seen films from that era, I had to watch it in bursts. Like I had to watch it in like half hour chunks. And what I'm finding that, that I'm encountering this more and more. So I'm, I'm just kind of curious if you've encountered this at all as well. Like has this 
been, I know this isn't one of those questions that like is planned, no, but please well, go, 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 talking about Kurosawa movies. Nothing, yeah, nothing bad. <laughs> do you have you come across this? Like, have you come across people who are kind of like you know, I, it's a long film, so I'm now watching it in like chunks instead of watching it all the way through. A hundred percent, and it's. I think it's. It's this. You t- you, know, you put the kind of nose. You put your finger on it when you say. You know, it's this. The it's this bizarre thing with that we've been conditioned with the binge watching, right? Because essentially now most of these, especially the Netflix shows, are basically you know four to ten hour movies just broken up in these chunks. And so it is funny that I think. I saw a pet friend of some silly post, a friend of mine put online. It was like, you know, watch an eight hour movie. God, no, break it up and watch it in, in our chunks over the course of a weekend. Yes. I'm right there. I'm like, oh, so that, wait, wait, how does that work? Um, <laughs> you know, it's, so I think it is definitely, um, I, yes. I think the kind of segmentation of, of television fundamentally is a different pacing. And I, I love good television I think my primary love is movies. And that was probably because what I was more, what I was raised on. I think when I was growing up, there was just less great television. Um, yes. And so we would watch these films and, and, and yeah, I look back and my parents definitely tried to make me watch like, well, like, you know, Ingmar Bergman at the age of eight or something, which is like, this is terrible. Why, why would you do that? Like totally, totally kind of put me off great films because I was really, and then of course I did the exact same thing with my children. Um, you know, uh, which is just, I, we're doomed to repeat some of those mistakes, I suspect. <laughs> yes. Um, but I think it's more, yeah, there is an intimidating factor. I think about a slow paced film and especially when you factor in, um, the cadence of, I think the kind of combined, I think it's the combination of good, a great television, but that you do tend to watch in smaller chunks which is one, which is fantastic. One thing, but then the truncation of that into kind of fifteen-minute YouTube videos, which require less attention, and now the truncation of that into one-minute TikTok videos. I think there is uh, it concerns me. And I, I sound like a kind of terrible luddite, probably right now, but oh. you know this kind of the the degradation of the ability to concentrate for long periods of time. Yeah. I suspect is going to have long long-term impact, and it's something you know we. It's I think it's. It's one of the things I think I've done, did right with my children was really when we sat down to watch a movie, it was like, we're going to sit and watch this film and there's no other screens and there's no other things. And it doesn't matter if it's, you know, and of course we lead away, you know, but I think my daughter is now 20, but I think the first film we ever watched together was the fellowship of the ring. (laughs) Um, You know, and she knew the story. I told her to have watched. She was like three or four and I got bored with, Snoopy, you know, not Snoopy, whatever it was, like Paw Patrol or whatever the equivalent was. It's like, no, we're going to watch something good. And yeah, we did absolutely break that up. But it was like, I felt like it was this thing of like, okay, we're going to watch this in hour chunks. And now we're going to do hour and a half chunks. And now we're gonna... so you kind of expand the ability to pay attention um, slowly. Whereas I think, incre- like, I think kids potentially are losing some of that these days. I don't yeah, know if that I answered mean, your question. I'm sorry. It does. Yes. It does. Yeah. No, we've seen the ramifications of it. I think not being able to watch something long-term has led to a lack of critical thinking, which has led to the general state of things in the United States uh, and actually around the world for that matter too. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So I am all for you in terms of like getting people to sit and watch the film. And, and I'm kind of curious. So given well, given your time making film and studying like great films, when you work on a television show, is yeah. there, how does that inform the work that you do on something like Dave or something like Barry? Interesting. I think, 
the again the lucky thing that i've been able to do over the last few years is i tend to have i mean again purely through luck rather than 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 choice or intellect or intelligent it's just like um really from i was very very lucky when i started because i went from second assistant to first assistant director and i had one producer who's kind of really championed me through and then a, and, a, and a director who kind of helped just totally held my hand through that process and so my first couple of projects you know there's a learning curve and i was bumpy and i was waking up and terrified and all those things and then i think i was lucky enough at just the right moment i did uh i got in a, a, another producer friend was doing this series future man on hulu for with seth rogan and evan goldberg director um and uh I interviewed with them. It was over Zoom. It was this kind of bizarre thing, and it was it was kind of, it's always strange when it's like, oh, I know your face pops up on the screen. Um, but they, the, a, they were willing to take a swing on me because we hit it off, and I think we had a lot of the same reference terms. I mean, it, it was just it was it worked. It was just a very good. It was we just realized we kind of we're going to get along well together, which is crucial, obviously. Um, but B, I think the joy of Future Man was it was a. It, you know, it was a 12 episode, 10 episode first season, and it was a mini movie. It was like, great, we're, we're approaching this thing. There's, we know exactly where this is going. The scripts are written. We have it. So we're really kind of, from the very beginning, it was, um, and again, being lucky, being with collaborative showrunners and creators, were able to get in and, and, okay, we need to see this thing coming up. And so in the writer's room and talking with the writers, how do we plan for this? What do we do? Well, I think we should do this. And we can, you know, within the constraints of kind of, budget and script and those things and obviously also i was paying attention to it was like okay yeah you know what hey we can do this for this and we can do this for this and this would work and and we can pull this thing out and put this thing in and time so it became this wonderful collaborative journey and really since then i've kind of much more lived in that kind of r-rated uh you know less procedural more kind of theatrical experience television um which has just been delightful um and is also very much what we then bring to comics which is yes we're trying to create them in these kind of digestible smaller chunks so the irony of my previous rant about people's attention spans like no but so much content is consumed on the phone let's create something that'll tell great stories and work for comics for the phone but everything we're doing is part of a larger series a bigger arc so we're very much approaching it from the kind of point of view of yeah, here's the season story. Well, actually, we you know, when we're writing our own stuff, it's here's the multi-season arc. This is where we see the whole story going, we think, right? And then it's, okay, what would the season chunks be in that? And then, okay, now season one, what are we, you know, what are the major story beats we want to fit in there? You know, we, you know, three-act structure, where do we want to be? How many episodes? So we kind of chunk our way down into this digestible part, you know, thing, which I think is absolutely what we do in, in film and TV as well. And it's just wonderful with, with Macroverse to be able to be kind of bringing that, some of that experience into the comics thing combined with uh, 2000 AD from a kid, which is great. Yeah, no, that's the thing. That's the thing that got me excited about Macroverse was uh, I had previously worked over at Serial Box, which is now Realm, where they, they had been releasing uh, episodic chapters of an mm -hmm. audio book each week. And that was sort yeah. of their model. Uh, and so, I, I really like that writer's room approach to comics and it's just not done enough. And that's what got me excited. I was like, Oh, all right. Well, the, these, these guys are thinking it out and, and they're doing it the way that I think comics should be made. But that, that's a whole other thing. This is Rosie Tran from Rosie and BJ save the world, a podcast asking big questions and discussing how to solve these big issues. 
This is a podcast for people just like you who ask, has the war on drugs been successful? Do we need universal basic income? Should we legalize sex work? Go to rosieandbjsavetheworld.com to get more confused. Do you want to grow your audience without sacrificing your privacy? Then the Stupid Sexy Privacy mini-series is just for you. It's a short, special presentation that will run every Thursday morning right here on Weiwo.tv for the next 23 weeks. In each short episode, we'll teach you how to preserve as much of your privacy as possible while still participating in the creator economy. You'll also hear from top privacy and disinformation experts who will teach you how to protect yourself from fascists and weirdos. And who doesn't want that? So make sure you're subscribed to Weiwo.tv where all podcasts can be found and we'll see you every Thursday morning for a special presentation of Stupid Sexy Privacy, a Weiwo.tv miniseries. I would love to ask, like, what would you... What would you want to say to people about Macroverse if they're not sold yet? Like, what's what's the thing to... Yeah, no, I and it's, it is funny, you know, it's because we do talk... Sorry, dogs moving underneath me. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's obviously we've had a lot of a lot of conversations with a lot of people in the commerce community, and I think um, the kind of Web3 NFT innovation that has appeared over the last year, year and a half is an incredibly divisive topic. And people do tend to be either kind of, I'm all in 100% or no, it's absolutely terrible and it's destroying everything. There's very little, which I think goes back to your point earlier, which is yeah, yeah, the ability to kind of see shades of gray and understand nuance and those things from both sides of that. Trust me, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's I don't think it's a binary position. Um, I think for us it is, I think it's a couple of things. Um, one, I think the more kind of traditional print comics part of the industry is 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 for all intents and purposes broken and i think especially as kind of new talent trying to find your way in there it's like yes of course you've got your marvel and dc and i feel like they're separate but for everything else it is this kind of this pretty much kind of darwinian fight for survival um which is which is just really just really hard to break into and i, I think you see the same thing in the film industry it's like there's less and less risks being made it's being taken because people are more and more scared about making the wrong choice. And then the financial ramifications of that and what it's like, it's funny, you know, like the matrix would not be made today um, because without a massively successful comic and of this, and of this, and of this, it's like, no one's going to take a swing on, yeah, this kind of esoteric, interesting script that's pushing some boundaries and it's going to take a bunch of money. And, and it's, uh, you know, which I think is, is to the detriment of entertainment as a whole. Um, So I think for us, the approach very much was when, Digital is where it's at. And this was before Web3 Digital. We feel like let's we can get to a wide audience. Webtoons has shown that there are millions of people who are very, very happy and enjoy reading great comics and great content on their phones. So how can we get, how can we take this medium that we love and transfer it into something that is, is, is distributable over a much, much wider kind of range of people, people who would never go into the comic shop. And again, coming to someone who loves comic shops, like most people don't do that. So how do we access the greatest number of people? And then it is about how do we engineer and how do we kind of adjust the storytelling style to some degree to now fit the phone, but also fundamentally telling great stories with great characters. And then none of this is about getting rid of print. I just think print potentially becomes this 
it is no longer the monthly or weekly, in the case of 2008, kind of trip to the comic book store. It's now, no, it's this beautiful trade that I'm looking that is this kind of thing that I want to have on my coffee table or in my bookshelf. Or, like it becomes this, just more this collector's, beautiful collector's item than um, this kind of weekly or monthly thing that is is much more of a churn to it. Uh, and so I think we're able to, we, you know, I think this goes back to kind of creating our stories with these bigger arcs and it is, yes, they're in small chunks, but we do have this, uh, this bigger story in mind. Um, and then the web three aspect of it for us is about both about empowering creators and about engaging the communities and the collectors around those creators and having the collectors benefit from the success of the series as well. And so I think it is this, it's this kind of beautiful balance between those two things that has really sold me and, and the community storytelling now that we've done in kind of multiple communities has just reinforced that as a, as a true, I think, kind of revolution in the comics field, but, but also just an incredibly, personally, incredibly satisfying thing. And the excitement I feel watching these new creators develop these great stories and now they're in production and we're in production on like three of these things now. And it's, it's, that's just amazing to see. And that would not be happening without this NFT Web3 component. Uh, we're actually out of time, but is it okay if I Oh, I'm so in? sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Can, we squeeze, can I squeeze in one more, one more question? Oh, please. Anything? I'm good. I blocked yeah, out an hour. So as long as, I mean, as long as you don't get tired of my, oh, my no, rambling, no. this is great. I'm enjoying the conversation immensely. <laughs> well, I, 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 would love to, I would love to have you back because uh, there's so many questions that I didn't get to. Um, but there's one thing that I really wanted to, to bring up while, while we were chatting, and it's, it's this. Yes. Uh, you mentioned the polarization with the NFT, and I just had this conversation, I, the exact conversation uh, with an editor for a comic that uh, I'm putting together a writer's room for. Okay, and sure. what we were discussing was when I said NFT, he was like, oh, no, that, that, that scared me. And I said, no, when I'm saying NFT, and, and I'd love to hear you yeah. speak on this, I'm talking specifically about proof that you created a concept. I'm not talking about something that you can just copy and paste and copy and paste or right click on one. So like NFT means different things with different people. Yeah. And I think that's really important to clarify in in conversations like this, so I would just love to hear you just to elaborate a little bit on that for people out there who you know they hear NFT and they think the scammy stuff and not no, this is like a proof of ownership. This is a thing yeah. that says it's yours, a hundred percent. And I think that is, and I think you know it's it's so hard, right? I think with any new technological development, especially, but I think any a lot of you know, I now can't think of any, but I suspect any real new development. I think there's always there is the kind of legitimate honest we get to build something amazing and then there's a ton of people who are like hey i can turn a quick buck and i can do this and undoubtedly the crypto space you know is is rife with with scams and so i don't i you know i never want to try and dismiss that because 100 percent that's there and that exists in pretty much every industry i mean you know when, when wells fargo was being fined billions of dollars because they were conning customers like okay well the banking industry as a whole has done some terrible things it's also really useful so you know swings and roundabouts so i feel like part of that context to me i think is important in the in the nft conversation um the other thing i think is a hundred percent it's about it's about proof of ownership and proof of of creation um and you know I mean, if you want to download something from Comixology and screenshot everything as you go through on your iPad, I, same thing, same exact thing. Uh, it just It's just, you know, there's, there's no proof of ownership behind the PDF 
that that is based on. And I feel like that's where it's actually, I think, an incredible tool for protecting creators um, is this, the ability to show, I made this thing, it is traceable all the way back to me. I originated it, you know, there's, you know, uh, therefore, there, it doesn't matter if someone right clicks and saves, this original thing is, is still mine, which means I get to benefit from it. And then the residual aspect in, in, in NFTs as well for the creator is, is enormous. So you create an NFT that is yours and I buy that comic from you and it's provable and it's demonstrable on the blockchain. I then, that thing then becomes collectible and rare and valuable. I then go and sell it and I benefit financially from that. But so do you, that chain, the kind of residual flow in there too, as someone who has been, I'm so privileged and so lucky to be to make residuals on the shows that I've done. Um, you know, and it could be a coffee or it could be a meal that typically shows up, but that's amazing. Yes. <laughs> like, and right. that's the getting that in the web three space for, especially for independent creators. Um, I just think is, is, is truly revolutionary. Um, you know, and I, and I also, and then I think it does come down to education. So it is also that thing of, you know, it's, the, the objections typically are it's scammy and it's terrible for the environment. And it's like, right. yes, there's a ton of scams and yes, Bitcoin and right now Ethereum are bad for the environment a hundred percent. And both of those things will shift. Um, and so it is about, okay, just wrap it. I think it is that kind of gray area of, okay, what's that? What's the boundaries? What, how do I fix this? Where, where do I fit into this world as opposed to God? No, I'm not touching it. You know, right. I think that I think that's the thing for me. Yeah, and I, I get give, crazy. Did that answer your question? I don't yes, know. If that, no, I just like, yeah, yeah. No, it absolutely did. I get crazy when the environment comes up because I'm I'm an environmentalist. I'm very concerned about the carbon footprint of Bitcoin oh. and Ethereum. But what I always tell people is the reason why it's so consumptive and so destructive is because we have a, a 20th century power grid run by 20th century monopolies that have not put in efficiencies. And if we had those things. We wouldn't be talking about this, so it's like a distraction from the core. It's not that it's, I don't want to dismiss it. Oh, of but, course, right? But there's still a, there's a larger problem that's not being talked about, right? In favor of Bitcoin is better for the environment. It's like okay, but you know, Con Edison, for example, how old is that infrastructure? Has it been yes. optimized? Probably not. So. Yes. Yeah, this was, it's, it's, it's funny because it's me too. So my dad was a diplomat and then left the diplomatic corps and became an environmentalist. So, I'm, you know, it's funny. I'm getting ready. You know, we had we had promised uh, 5% of our first drop to uh, a carbon offset charity, which is called Trees for the Future, which is fantastic. And so given that it's Earth Day today, like I've been waiting for Earth Day to make that donation to them, which is just I me. Mean, Sorry, just because I feel we should. Sorry, that sounded yes. self-congratulatory. I apologize. No, um, we all should. We all yeah. should be doing it. <laughs> yeah. like but it's, um, I think, absolutely. And I think the, the benefit is, the good thing about, about blockchain is that there are solutions coming out. So the shift from yes. Ethereum, from proof of state, from proof of work, which is much more energy consumptive proof of stake, will eliminate 99 plus percent of that energy usage. Great, that's an objection that then goes away. Um, obviously, the desperate need to shift to renewables anyway is, is yes. crucially important. But then, you know, you hear all the time, Ethereum uses the energy consumption of Ireland every every year. Like, yeah, but America's Christmas holiday lights every year kind of use the same amount, guys, in a month. So, right. okay, again, not dismissing it, but I yes. think constant context around it is important. Absolutely. This this was wonderful. I'd love to have you back. Tell us tell us where we can find you. Where, where can we find you? Where can we find Macroverse? 
Brilliant. Um, Macroverse is at Macroverse HQ on Twitter. That's our fundamental thing. Or uh, Discord, if you want to join us in there, like that's that's where everything's happening. Um, if you are not familiar with Discord, it's bloody intimidating out of the gates, but yes. stick with it. It gets easier. Um, and we are uh, uh, discord.gg slash Macroverse. Super simple. Um, and then I'm Adam DPM on Instagram, but that's mostly pictures of my family and dogs. So not that interesting for the casual viewer. <laughs> Unless you love dogs, which I mean, that's why you use Instagram oh, you, for, right? Is yeah, to watch people's dogs and cats. Yes. I had lots of conversations with my, with my pit bull who is very, very talkative. Uh, <laughs> this is Greg Goldstein and I'm the applause sign operator here at Weibo TV. But turning this cute little sign on is only a small part of what I do with the show. I also pay the bills. So if you like what you just heard, and you want to hear more episodes of Weibo TV, let me share with you how I make the money to pay those bills. Knock, knock. Who's there? Broken pencil. Broken pencil who? Never mind. There's no point. (laughs) Did you know that laughter is a distinctive human characteristic meant to help calm us down? You see, the business of marketing may be ever-changing, but people have been documented trying to make each other laugh since... Ancient Greece. That's why at That Funny Agency, we're more than just digital marketing professionals with years of big agency experience. We're also professional comedians, artists, actors, writers, and musicians who have a unique insight into the science of happiness. At our digital marketing agency, we use our innate humor to bring people closer together. Customer to business, collaborator to client, friend to friend. It's almost like funny is our middle name. Oh, wait, it is. So come laugh with us, journey with us, grow with us at thatfunnyagency.com. We're That Funny Agency. Strategic 360-degree digital marketing by unapologetically funny people. That's it for this episode of Weiwo TV. Our announcer, editor, and producer is Jonathan Ingram. Additional editing is provided by Andrew Van Voorhees, and those dulcet tones you hear are those of Rosie Tran, Crixley, Colton Hagen, and Elise Randall Monica. And of course, our show is hosted by Mr. B.J. Mendelson, recording at the George Carlin Podcast Studio. So folks, stay strong, stay safe, and stay sexy. Thanks for listening. Okay, your 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 middle name is Macho, but uh, I'm wondering if you ever cry. You ever has Macho Man ever cried? Oh, yeah. Really? Uh huh. It's okay for Macho Men to show every emotion available right there, you know, because I've cried a thousand times. I'm gonna cry some more. But I've soared with the eagles and I've slithered with the snakes and I've been everywhere in between. And I'm gonna tell you something right now. There's one guarantee in life that there are no guarantees, yeah. And uh, understand this. Nobody likes a quitter. Nobody said life was easy. So if you get knocked down, take the standing eight count, get back up and fight again. Did you enjoy today's show? If you did, please take a minute and leave us a review. Yes, we know you're busy and every podcast asks you to do this. But there's a good reason they do, because every time you leave a review, that review helps more people find and listen to the show. And you know what that means for you? More great episodes of Weiwo.tv. So what are you waiting for? Take out your phone and leave us a review right now before you move on to something else and forget about us. 
and we'll see you next time, right? <laughs>